I'm an extrovert, so I just love that that's happening right there. And I just know every introvert out there is going like, when is this stopping? When is this stopping? Uh, uh, hi, church. My name is uh, BJ Ferguson, and I have the honor to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And um, man, uh, I, I am just so thankful to be a part of this church community. And today I get to share with you from God's word, um, uh, which is always a struggle for me, like uh, that, that I, get to, I get to take what God is doing in, in, in my heart and, and then and, and present it to you guys. But, but that there's this tension in me of going like, hey, do, am, I, am, I, am I doing this for the Lord or am I, am I doing this for me? And it's, it's this struggle. And, and so there, there have been times in my life where I've really had to wrestle with that. And um, there was this really like significant moment where Pastor Brandon spoke something to me and it, and it was this aha moment. And I want to talk to you about something that, that might be an aha moment in your life. And, and like what I'm saying there is um, like when has there been a time in your life where something has happened that changed the course of what you would do? I mean, it might not have happened significantly at first, but you're like... This moment right here changed the course. And so for me, I'm going to give you an example of, of what that was in my life. And, and, and so many of you know that I, I played football and, and I, I got to play in, in college football and, and, and that was really exciting. But it all started um, when I played baseball. Um, yeah, it, it connects, don't worry. Um, and whenever, when, I, when I was growing up, I only played baseball. I was like, I would... I collected baseball cards. I went to baseball games. I was always practicing baseball. And um, I, I would even take the baseball cards and practice my autograph on the baseball card to be like, I'm going to be doing this a lot later. Like, and I was doing that. And for the first time, ba like, it, it was in seventh grade that I decided to start playing football. It was the first time, I, like, and I was like, I was only doing it really to like get in between baseball seasons. I was like, I needed something else to do. In and, and so this guy uh, went, all right, here's the, here's the normal joke that happens right here. They're like, oh, BJ, you're so adorable. What's the joke? Yeah, there you go. Good job, guys. Nailed it. Like, yeah, like, Poor, poor kid went through something in the next three years that really changed him. So um, he was adorable then, then it got weird. So anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but that guy right there, the, not, well, the one that was there, um, he, he played football for the first time. And um, I remember very vividly going out on the football field. And there's this thing called kickoff return. And when you're... Uh, Number 75, you play on the, the front line of the kickoff return when you're in middle school. And what that means is 15 yards away from you, there's a line of humans. And they take off sprinting in your direction. And you retreat for about another 15 yards. And then you turn around and stop completely. And then you start going back towards them. And I don't know if you know physics very well, but they're running very fast for a long period of time and you're just trying to start going. And what happened was the first time in my life I got hit square in my helmet and I flew back and I landed on the ground on my back. 
And in that moment, I knew that football was awesome. <laughs> like, I, like, previous to that moment, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. Like, I was like, oh my goodness, how in the, like, but I landed on the ground and I'm like, that didn't hurt at all. Like, it was an aha moment that I was like, maybe I could get into this. And as the story goes, I went on and played a lot more football. I started, like, exploring it. I started thinking about it. I started practice, practicing it. I started, like, stop doing other things to start doing football. I stopped playing baseball my 10th grade year to start playing football more. I was giving things up. The, 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 the coaches and the players around me were, were pointing me in that direction. And, and the truth of the matter is, like, football was so, such a joy for me because of that aha moment, and my favorite part about football, my favorite part about football, I don't know if y'all know this, it's not like the scoring or anything like that, it, it was that you get to hit somebody as hard as you can and not get arrested. <laughs> like, it's, like, and then do it again, and then again and again, and, and it was, it was, that was for me, I know it's not for everyone, like that's, but that's what I felt about it. Now you got a little bit more understanding of me, my aha moment. And guys, when we encounter those, and I don't know what that is for you, when we encounter those, they, they change our perspective, right? They, they change our minds that, that an experience happens or, or, or an event happens or, or something happens to us or, or somebody speaks something to us and, and, and we have these transformational moments. And here at our church, we we believe that the most transformational thing that can happen is an encounter with Jesus Christ. That, that, that the most transformational thing that can happen is when you meet Jesus for the first time, we actually believe that that changes everything about you. That is true on a cosmic, on a, on, on a spiritual reality, that it changes everything, but it also changes everything about us here and in this place. And I think that when we have this encounter with Jesus, we realize that, that he has a unique perfection. We realize that, that there is a, our own sinfulness that's there, that we recognize our shortcomings and that we, we must cry out for help, like for a need that we have. And that's, that's what we talk about when we say we, we need Jesus. Because when we start talking about what the, what the reality of the world is around us. We, we've been talking about this concept called revival. And what we've been seeing in the life of our church is God working in new and profound ways. We've seen him doing some, some unique things that he hasn't done before, and there's this, this sense of growing hunger here. And when we say revival, we're not meaning it to, to say that like there's this like, this, this sudden burst of like bonus God and like we're really excited for a moment. But what we're meaning by it is that, is that we're returning to a normal understanding of who God is in light of who we are. That is what the revival is that we're, we're leaning into. And so when we experience this revival, it's a re return to understanding God's fullness, his, his holiness, his otherness that, that, that we can't quite understand, but we pursue and, tr and seek after it as much as we can. But it's also recognizing our own brokenness and, and, and going, hey, how could a holy God interact with, with broken and messed up people? 
See, the heart of the revival is why we desire to be a church that is simply about Jesus, because that's where we find it. And so I want to invite you today, I'm going to invite all of us today to, to lean into trying to understand the heart of Jesus. And if if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you are exploring right now, if you're just trying to see if this is for you, then, then I'm, I'm gonna ask that you would just be willing to listen and, 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 and see what God might have for you today. And if, if you're my brother and sister in Christ right now, I, I want you, I want you to try to remember back to that aha moment with Christ that you had. I want you to, I want you to think back to that, that season or that time when that happened and, and, and ask yourself, like, God, is, is there something that you want me to step into right now? And so over the past two Sundays, uh, we've been really uh, uh, talking about this, uh, these concepts of holiness and, and God's justification. And these, these, these concepts aren't really, like, actionable for us. Like, uh, understanding God's holiness is, is not something that we're like, all right, so because God's holy, now I do this. Or because God offers justification to us, like, now this. But today is the opportunity for, for those that are, that are practically minded, like myself, uh, through this concept that we're going to call sanctification. And sanctification is just this theological term, and, and, and my definition of it would be this. Like, it is the process of partnering with God to grow in the likeness of Christ. And we can look at it in the scriptures in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and it says this. It says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. See, a, a, a much wiser theologian than I, uh, by the name of Wayne Grudem, actually has a, has a more robust definition of, of this word sanctification. And it is, it is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives, in which God's holiness is gradually made manifest in our lives. You see, sanctification is moving uh, from what we have received into where God is leading us, where God is growing us. So we're going to be looking at this passage out of Colossians chapter 3 today. And, and Paul has given this, this church a framework for how to live as a people that have, that have said yes to Jesus. A, a people that have had that aha moment of, of realization of God's holiness and their need for God. And they've said yes to that. And this passage is deep and it's deeply invitational. It's inviting us to participate, and it is necessary for us to chase after the heart of God. So I'm going to be walking through it in, in segments, and, and, we're, and we're just going to be pausing to kind of look at certain parts. And so I'm, just, I'm going to start off in verse 1 right now of Colossians chapter 3. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, and I'm just going to pause right there. I just have to pause right here. So if you have been raised with Christ, this passage starts with a prerequisite. Like it's, it's if you have been raised with Christ. And so what, what I'm here to say is like if, if you are not a follower of Jesus, like know that the, the things that are prescribed after this are, are not, are not, 
expectations on you. They are not expectations for how you have to live because if you have not received that, then, then the rest is, is not for you. It, it is for those that have said yes, that, that have received that. And so I want, I just, I, I want to make clear, but, but to do this, we have to actually reflect back a little bit. I have to backtrack because even for the believer, for us to move past that statement means that, that we could miss and move from a received thing into a perform thing. We have to understand that, that we have received something from God. And, and the long and the short of it goes back into what I've been saying over and over again. We've been talking about the holiness of God. And we looked at the book of Isaiah chapter 6 where, where the, the creatures are flying around uh, the throne of God and they're yelling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is there and he can say, Absolutely nothing except for the one statement, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. And so we look at what this concept of holiness is and, and we try to grasp it, but it's, it's so other, it's so different, it's so unique that, that our brains have such a hard time comprehending it. And the best way we can describe it is that it incorporates every bit of God's power every bit of his beauty, every bit of his worth, and all of his knowledge. And it does that in infinite measure through all time. Eternity past, eternity future, for all time, showing his uniqueness. And then Brandon said this thing last week that just hammered me, and it was the question that the whole Bible poses. And it's this, it's how can anyone stand in the presence of such a holy God. The Bible is seeking to answer that question the entire time. How can anyone stand in the presence of such a holy God? And there, there's only one answer, and no one can. Only God can stand before the holiness of God. So being in the presence of God is only through a mercy of God and anything outside of that mercy is utterly destroyed. Is utterly destroyed. Nothing can come to God that has any blemish or it'll be utterly destroyed. And thus God maintains his holiness. And as we see God's holiness, we, we have to recognize that, that we as humans are, like, we are not that. We, we are limited. We are finite. We are small. We we run away from God. We seek what we want, not what God wants. See, the scriptures describe that, that, that since Adam and Eve, that, that all of humanity has rejected God's plan. All of humanity has, has declared war against God. They said, not what you want, but I want. What, what I want. You are not God. I am God of my life. You cannot tell me what to do. My kingdom is better than your kingdom. And take we take up arms against God and we declare war and we rebel against him and his plan. And this rebellion is called sin and it leads us to a place uh, that we see in the world right now we, where we see um, the, the, the desire to be the God of our own life, the, the ruler of our own life. We see fear and anxiety and anger and hate and selfishness and, and everything that the humans do to try to fill that gap, try to fill that, that, that need for contentment 
ends up to a place where, where we fall short, where we want more and it leads to death and it condemns each of us. Unable to be in the presence of God, humanity is eternally separated from God. And there is no human effort that can change that reality. It's like trying to wash dirty clothes in muddy water. It's never going to get clean. Anything that humans do to try to make themselves right before God, justify themselves before God, won't work. So now we're, we're back in, like, if you have been raised with Christ, last week Brandon talked about God's unique ability and his unique offer to provide Jesus, God's son, who is holy and righteous and able to fully be in the presence of God because he is God, for us to be able to to pour on Jesus, to place on Jesus all of our rebellion, all of our sin, all of our rejecting of God, and we laid that on his shoulders, and then, and then Jesus died taking the punishment, taking the wrath, taking the holiness of God that would remove all of that and dying on the cross. Jesus took that for us, and, and in doing that, made us morally right before God. He died in our place, like declaring us free from sin in God's place. But even more than that, he, he allows us to be in his presence because we now have the ability to have the righteousness, the holiness of God placed on us. And, and this exchange of our sinfulness and receiving the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus, that is an immeasurable greatness that's called justification. You see, we can now stand in the presence of God, not in fear, but, but as children of God, able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. See, this makes God both just in paying for sin and the one that is gracious and a justifier. He has granted us our greatest need, and that is to be with the God of the universe. And so, all of this to say, this is literally in the first half verse of the passage that we're looking at. And I know you're thinking you're going to be here another four hours. Don't worry. It'll move a little bit faster. But we have to start here with God's holiness, with our sinfulness, and with our need for justification. And it all culminated in Christ's death and his resurrection. If we don't start in that place, then we can't do the things that are coming after it. We can't move into the things that are coming after it. And so I'm, I, I have to start there. So again, I invite you that if, if you're looking or searching for something, if, if you're exploring Jesus right now, I want you to know that is what is offered when you accept Jesus. You get the righteousness and the holiness of Christ in place. You pour all of your brokenness upon him. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm asking you right now, would you reflect back to the time when you had that aha moment where Christ changed your life, where you said yes, where, where you connected your life with Christ and you were raised up and you realized that, that there is a desperate need for God? Because 
when it says that you were raised up in this passage, when it says that you have been raised with Christ, so you have been raised with Christ, what it means is that, that it has this image of the, that you were dead, that there was a dead before and now you've been raised with Christ. And this is a concept that, that Paul uses throughout the scriptures, the, the author of this, the author of this uh, uh, book. And, and it says this in Galatians chapter two, it says, uh, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, if you've been raised with Christ, that means that you have tied your life to his life. Your life, your sinfulness, your brokenness was crucified with Christ. And holding tight to him, you were raised as holy and blameless. You were no longer bound to the rebellion, bound to sin. You have been set free to pursue what is better. This is where sanctification starts. It starts from that. And then it moves into what we see in the rest of the passage. It moves into this. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, here we go. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, we're remembering that that, 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 that we have received something from Christ and, and he is placed directly in front of us. And when we see him accurately and we remember what he's done accurately, it is absolutely clear that he has become the one object of our affection, the one focus of our heart. Everything is fixated on him because he is the only one worthy of all of our affection. When our, when our focus is, is rightly placed, it, it produces things in us. And the only analogy I can come up with this is, is like, if you remember being in elementary school, how bad did you want summer to show up? Like, you, you dreamt of it. You, I, I vividly remember staring at the clock, trying to see if I had the force to move the second hand faster. I was just like, like I, I, was, I wanted it so bad because what did you have in the summer? What, what did summer provide? It, it provided like hanging out with friends. It provided like swimming nonstop. It provided like baseball, bike riding, Nintendo, no homework. That was a bonus, right? It, it had joy and this is like, this is the only thought I had, like freedom, right? Summer came with freedom. Like, man, I don't have to do this. There's freedom here. And it just consumes your mind. Like as those last couple of months leading up to, to summer break, you're like, oh man, summer's coming. I've got two elementary school kids in my house right now. I know. Like every morning is like, is it summer yet? Nope. Nope. It's only three weeks away. It's like, oh, it's so long. Like, there, it, it, is, it is palpable that the object of their affection is the freedom of that summer. Guys, what is the object of our affection? The faith like a child, how much more valuable is the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? 
And so when we look at this passage, if we see Jesus as the one true object of our affection, if your life has been raised with Christ, and we, we set our mind on things above, when we, when we, when Christ, who is our life, when we see him and, and, and dwell on him appearing in his glory, here are some things that it might produce. Would you have a curiosity for God? Would you want to explore who he is? Would you want to be a learner about him? Would you be open-handed with the things of God, saying, God, like, would you show me? Would you teach me? I want to listen to you. Would, would we investigate? Would we dwell on? Would we, like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, would we let it transform our mind? Would our minds be transformed? Or Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, would, would, would we dwell on the things that are pure and noble and upright and worthy? Would we let our mind think on such things? Would we sit and wait and be patient and, and wonder and be curious about the things of God? Because when God is the object of our affection, it's going gonna, it's gonna to invite us into that freedom that, he, that we have with him. It's going to invite us into that joy that we have with him, much like a child waiting for summer. Sanctification begins with centering our affection on Jesus. And so if our, the object of our affection is clear and right in front of us, then let's go. Let's, let's get after it. Let's run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let's go. But what we see in the world is that there, there is still a pull. There's a tug drawing us away. And that's what we see in the, in the next part of this passage. It says in, in verse 5, it says, Therefore, Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Here again, we have this language of, of life and death. Looking, looking ahead towards Christ, that's where life is. Our life has been raised with Christ, alive there. And then we have this other one that says, put to death the things that have died, the things that are crucified with Christ are over here. And, and, and we're seeing a dichotomy between two different things. We've, we've got Christ as the object of our affection, and, and, and we're... We're seeing that, but then there's this, this other thing where, where we're pulled into what is over here. And so there's this tension that lies between these two objects, and, and here it is. I am the object of my affection. When I run to these other things, I have placed myself at the center of my affection. I'm like, what I want, what I want to do, and I'm going to chase after that. Because if I claim to be a Christ, if I claim to, to follow after Christ, to be a Christian, to, to run after him, and, and he is my life, then everything I say pretty much right there might make me a hypocrite. Because I am saying that I'm, I'm holy and blameless, but yet I still do these things that put me at the center of my affection and chase after those things. 
Anybody in here not a hypocrite? Okay, I just, I just wanted to call you a hypocrite to your face if you were going to do it. Never mind. Good job, guys. Y'all passed that test. Nailed it. All right. But so when my desire moves away from God being the center of my focus, and it moves to me being the center of my focus, we deal with this dichotomy. Am I going to choose God or am I going to choose self? Is my mind going to be set on the things above Or is my mind going to be set on earthly things? And when I say that, guys, I say I'm the earthly thing. I'm the earthly thing that my mind is going to be set on. Because when I fall back on me and when I chase after the things that I want and I, I choose to do the things that I want, what I realize is that those things aren't going to satisfy. Like Brandon says this all the time. He's like, like, why do you love money so much? Money's always leaving you. that's a beautiful picture. Like we run to things and things leave us. Things let us down, but we keep doing it. And, And I don't know if you've seen this, but like this is one of the most beautiful analogies of like how we run back to, to things that aren't great. Oh, look how dirty that sheep is. And... That's me. (laughs) That's any of us. That's any of us. What do you run back to? I run back to I want people to like me. I, I, I want people to think well of me. I want to perform well. I want accolades. I want... I want all these things that, that build my kingdom, that, that put me at the center of my affection. And we've got this, this list here that allows us to explore this a little bit more. What do we run back to? What do we hold on to? What have we crucified? What, what has Christ crucified in us that we run back to? And it says... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, all these things. And there's these two different ways of looking at it. There's, like, there's some of these ones that, are, like, that seem fairly obvious, that, like sexual immorality or greed or idolatry. Like, those things can, 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 can have the appearance of like, yeah, like I'm, I see that I fall into those. And then there's these other ones that are more like impurity and lust and evil desires. And those can be so subtle. And they can be so nuanced. And, and we can deceive ourselves in some of these things. And, and, it, and, and let's just say that if, if we fall into the, the, that ourselves is the object of our own affection, there are two different ways that we kind of like can go on that. There's this, this self-indulgence of our desires way. That, that we lean into, like where, where you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I know what God says. I'm just going to do what I want to do because I really don't care. God's forgiven me. It's all good. Like, I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. That's, that's for me. And, and in that, we, we run away from God in a, in a way that, like, is almost conscious. And then there's this other side over here that's, that's the sin of self-justification. And this one's, this one's the one that runs rampant within churches, 
within my own life. And this one's the one that says, you know, what I've done, you know, like, I'm pretty good. Like, at my core, like, I'm better than most people. Like, look how well I serve. Look how good of a friend I am. Look, look how awesome I am. And it's, it's, you would never say that out loud, though, because you know that that's prideful. And pride is very obvious. But you'd say it up here. Guys, because at the core of that is the evil desire of control and comparison. When we're talking about put to death the things of the earthly nature, we're anything that places yourself as the end goal, as the one being worshipped, and what you're doing for you more than anybody else, no matter how nuanced it is, that is running back to death. That is getting up out of the mud, going about 10 steps, and jumping right back in. Jumping right back in. And the, the easiest practical example I can give you is this. Like, hey, do you, do you serve others? No, I don't serve others because, you know, what's in it for me? Like, it's not really my thing. I really don't do that. I, I don't really care much about other people. Um, like, that's, that's one option there. Or two, yes, I do serve proudly because I want other people to know how good of a person I am. That is equally as running away from the heart of message of God as is, nope, I don't do it, I'm not into that. You have said, I don't care about people, and you've said, I care about myself more. If we look at it from the place of I serve because I have received service from Christ and I am serving him by serving others. That is placing Christ at the center of our affection. So will we run back to sin? Will we run back to the pattern of the old life? Or will we place God at the center of our affection? See, when, when, when we do that, we know now that, that we actually have freedom to choose the things of God when previously we have not. Galatians 5 uh, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not tie yourself back to the, to the yoke of slavery, and that, that slavery is to sin. It says, before tying our lives to Christ, there was no freedom. All you could do was those things. But previous to, to, the, to, to being raised with Christ, there was no freedom except for to walk in sinfulness. And then Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 actually says that, that Jesus not only set us free, but he actually declared that that sin has no power over you. Therefore, we can operate under freedom. We can operate under freedom, and, and I think it's best encapsulated right here as we're, we're looking at, at either God being the center of our affection or us being the center of our affection it happens in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly says this in verse 11 in through 14. It says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here it is, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. 
But as those who are alive from the dead, who've been raised up with Christ, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. And if you notice this, the, the language that's in this is, is, a, is a royal lang- language. It's, a, it's regal. It's talking about kingdoms. It's, 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 it actually starts with um, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, that, that, that Christ is the king of your life, that Christ is the center of your, your affection, and he's the ruler there. And it says, therefore, don't go back to the rule, the reign of sin in your life, because when you do that, when you take up weapons of unrighteousness, when you, when you pick up the things that you died to previously, what you were doing is you were raging war against God. You were going back to being, saying like, I don't care what you've done. I am, I am taking up arms against you. And it's this, it's, it's this picture of saying, you've, you died to that. Why would you take up those arms again? But then on the flip side, we have this freedom now, this freedom now to say, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of your body as weapons for righteousness, that we get to use every part of our being, not as weapons of rebellion, but as weapons for God's graciousness and kindness. We get to join with the kingdom of God and his purposes. As we partner with God to be more in the likeness of Jesus, we are constantly reminded to make him the heart of our affection. We lay down all these things that, that would be obstacles. We say, like, I don't want these anymore. I put these things to death. I, I set them aside because I don't want it to trip me up. And then we raise up the weapons that God has given us to move forward in his kingdom. So we set aside the old, we, we, we put them to death. And in the next nine verses, I'm going to go faster. The next nine verses is, is quite remarkable. The first part was about understanding the object of our affection. Is, is, it, is it God or is it us? And then the last nine are completely about how this room right here, how the people that surround you that have been raised up with Christ, how do we support one another in prioritizing Christ as the center of our affection? And it goes like this in verse nine. It says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self And you all are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. The the message of sanctification, the growing, the process of growing in in centering our life on Christ and making him the, the aim of which we are going and we are becoming more like him. It says, in Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. You are one in Christ. Church, you are one with one another in Christ. Amen? We are the ones that are here to remind one another that we are all in Christ, that we have been raised with Christ. 
It was Paul calling them back to alignment, calling them back to what is best, calling them from the dead to life, saying, do this together. Do this in partnership with God, becoming more into the likeness of Christ. So we ask the question, how? And the answer is just not alone, that we are not alone. And so I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right. And, and, and because you want the object of your affection to be Christ, and, and because you want everybody else's object of their affection to be Christ, I want you to just ask them, hey, who is the object of your affection? Is it God or you? Go ahead. Let's just practice right now. My, my favorite part is that in verse 9, it says, do not lie to one another. <laughs> do not lie to one another. So, just saying, just right there in the Bible. Um, the evidence of God moving in our church is happening with, with that right there. The evidence of what God is doing when we talk about revival and how he's moving in radical ways is the unity that we've been seeing across generations. That we've been seeing people investing in other people and generation in the next generation so that we can see the emerging generations captivated by Christ. So now, not just asking what that other person is, I want you to ask another question. I want you to say, will you help me keep Jesus the object of my affection? Do it again. Yeah, I'm making y'all talk. Yeah, that was a request. Not a question, that was a request. There you go. Don't lie to one another. All right. As we are doing that, guys, we are being transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. And it goes on and gives us a little bit more practicals on, on how to do it. It says, therefore, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. And I'm just going to pause right there. Again, Paul is, is stopping in the midst of this and, and reminding them again of their identity and and their affection, again, centered on Christ because they would not be holy and dearly loved apart from having the righteousness and the holiness of Christ on their shoulders. And so they're being reminded to focus their attention back on Jesus. And it goes on and says, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see, constantly remembering the affection that is completely centered on Christ and, and remembering the freedom that we have to no longer be bound to the sinful nature, but to choose to, to be in the presence of God and run after him, 
We set down all these things and we ask one another to help us set down all these things that lead to death. And we now invite others in to help us take up these weapons of righteousness, but not weapons of harm, but weapons of compassion and kindness. Weapons that are given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. The Holy Spirit provides these We are in partnership with God to grow into the likeness of Christ, and Christ is the one who most exemplified all of these things. And so we partner with God to become more like Christ, and we have to do that together. We can't do it alone. So as we live that way, as we live out, as a community of people that's, that's pushing one another towards that. We think about John chapter 13, verse 35, where it says, and this is how they will know that you are my disciples. By, by the way that you do this for one another, by the way that you show up, and it says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, that we will continue to live as a people that is focused on Christ And that will be a testimony to the world. So now I want you to ask another question. I'm just preparing you. Just preparing you here. I want you to ask, will you help me live as someone that is holy and dearly loved? Ask that question. Y'all are becoming less interactive here. Y'all don't like talking to each other or is it just awkward or... Well, you're not going to like this next question then. So let's just read here where it says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. So um, would you now ask somebody for forgiveness if you need it? I'm just like, you don't actually have to do that right now. Y'all can do that after the service. Um, Y'all hold on to that one after the service. Or like if you need to go out of the room right now, you can do that. But... um, As we move into the likeness of Christ, we keep our affection focused on him. We we lay down the things that hinder us from, from, from running towards that, and we support one another, and we practice it together. And then verse 15 says this, And let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In great humility, we are so excited about what God is doing here. And and we want to continue to do what we can to see this revival and this growing affection, this hunger for God that's, that you are, you are ministering to, to me, you are ministering to our staff. By the way that your, your affections are growing, it's ministering to us. And it, it, it's centered around God's holiness and his plan that invites us in. 
and his invitation and his justification and our movement in sanctification towards the likeness of Christ. As, as, as a church, as, as a, one of the leaders in this church, as a pastor, as servants, this, it is joyfully weighty to get to serve you guys and get to, to lead and, and, and be a part of what God is doing here. But what we beg of you, what we desire, what we pray and we ask and we seek the Holy Spirit to do is to keep our affection centered on Christ, which is why we are a church that says that we are simply about Jesus. It comes back to that, that we're going to turn our affection back to him in everything. And so everything we do at our church has a purpose, and, and we could look at this passage and say, let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. And I want you to know that, that as a church, that you could come up after the service and say, like, I want the peace of Christ in my life. And I want to say yes. And if you were far from Jesus right now, you could come up and say, like, I need the peace of Christ. And, and you, can, you can accept the gift that is the grace from God. Like, we, we invite you to do that. You can be baptized. You can be baptized today. We could go... Do it outside right after the service. You can be baptized on, on June 4th at Celebration Sunday. You can respond to God in this place. This is a place where God is moving. It goes on and says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I, we invite you to participate in classes and, and, and keep learning. We invite you to become a member of this church and, and explore what it looks like to partner with us. That's a, it's more of just a formal partnership to say we're going to help one another become more like Jesus. And then it goes on in this passage and says, with, with all wisdom and, and teaching. And, and I invite you to engage in discipleship. We're doing that through our men's ministry and women's ministry. You can engage in discipleship through serving in our children's ministry or serving in our youth ministry. These are places where, where we are helping one another turn our affection towards Jesus in everything. It says, um, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. You can engage in worship with our community. We can do it with passion, with excitement, with joy. We invite you into that. And then it says, for whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord. Guys, it is not just a Sunday thing. It is not just a, a every once in a while thing. It's an everyday thing. And we want to be able to do that for one another. We want to be able to be in your lives and love you and serve you and know you and care for you and minister with you and minister to you and be ministered by you. And that happens in the context of our small groups. And so in everything we're doing, from our greeters, from our tech people, from our youth ministry, children's ministry, all of our programs are meant for one thing, to come back to our attention and our focus being centered on Christ as our only affection. So what is the aha moment? Believer, have you forgotten the joy of that aha moment that, that drew you in. And, and, and in response to that, did you, did you move towards God or, or have you said, no, like, I'm gonna set that aside and put myself back here. I wanna invite you 
I want to invite you into community. I want to invite you to partner with the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to invite you to partner with us as we focus our attention in becoming more like Christ. Is today that moment for you? Is today the moment where God has revealed himself to you? If so, I invite you to come up here. Come talk with somebody. Come share with somebody. Because together, as a church, in this community, with the Holy Spirit, partnered with God, we want to be simply about Jesus. I'm going to close out with this passage from Galatians chapter 6. And this one just hit me so hard this week. It's verses 14 and 15, and it says this. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision, in other words, it doesn't matter what your life has looked like, that is all nothing. What matters instead is a new creation, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the salvation that we receive because somehow you've invited sinful people to be in your presence. And not only that, you've given us the righteousness of Christ. And it cost his life. Lord, remind us in every moment of the significance of that so that we might run towards you, focus on you, have our life centered on you. And Lord, would you keep us from running to what is dead? Would you keep us from placing ourselves as the object of our own affection? God, let us do that together as a community of people that have been raised with Christ. Lord, we need you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.